There's a solitary, humble, wooden structure on a windswept hill in rural New England. To open the door is to engage our minds, our hearts, and our imaginations. In this place, preachers and professors, past and present, come alive as they walk the aisle, ascend the pulpit stairs, and teach. From theology, from history, and from the Word of God, welcome to the Saybrook Meeting House, an audio production of Saybrook Ministries. The Great Fundamental Fact As we look about us in the world, we discover that there are many kinds of knowledge. We discover also that all knowledge is not of equal value. And since no one person can know everything, it becomes necessary to choose from all available knowledge those things which it is of greatest importance for us to know. When a young man is planning his education, he must choose the branches of study to which he will devote himself with a view to fitting himself for his career. He cannot study all the branches which the high school or academy offers, much less can he take all the courses which the college or university affords. The student therefore must ask himself, what do I most need to know? In the great school of experience, it behooves every one of us to ask himself, What do I most need to know in order that I may most truly live? If achieving manhood consists in building a strong, vigorous, and healthy body, then the answer will be, what you most need to know is the science of health, with its branches of physiology, hygiene, diet, sanitation, bodybuilding, and so forth. But what if life consists in more than bodily strength and physical comfort? Suppose we discover that the man with the gun can defeat the man with the club, that the man with tools can accomplish more than the man with bare fingers or a stick of wood or a sharp stone, that the man with the steam engine can outwork the man with bare muscle. Then to achieve manhood, we must pursue that branch of knowledge which we may call the practical sciences. Suppose again that real manhood is not achieved when one has outstripped his fellows in materialistic accomplishment, but that man finds his higher self in relationship to others, in home life, in business cooperation, in the various relationships of society. Then we shall wish to study the science of social relationships and political economy in order that we may learn the art of living with others. Now suppose that we discover that intellect, the power to think and reason, is what marks man as different from the beasts. Then, in order to achieve manhood and really live, we must include in our studies and give prime place to that cultural knowledge which will develop the intellect and enlarge personality and fit us for fellowship with other minds. Then we will study psychology, philosophy, and literature. But suppose when we have studied all the branches, the importance of which we have thus far come to realize, we should discover that it takes more than physical powers and practical arts, social relationships and intellectual achievement, 
to make real manhood. Suppose we discover that underlying all these, there must be established what we call character. Suppose we discover that brute strength, uncontrolled by right motives, becomes inhuman cruelty. That skill, unguided by sympathy, becomes mere selfish acquisition to the hurt of others. That a knowledge of social relationships divorced from a good conscience ministers only to tyranny. And that intellectual superiority, untempered by the spirit of service, leads to the enslavement of lesser intellects. Then we must come to the conclusion that if life in the truest sense is really to be achieved, we must give first place to the search for knowledge of what is right in every relationship in life and to the building of character which will render right choices practically certain and ensure the carrying out of right decisions when they have once been made. Of what value is physical strength when murder is in the heart? or skill if utter selfishness controls, or mastery of social relationships if these become the mere tools of base desire, or intellect if it is nothing more than the instrument of selfishness. Man's greater need is to know what is right, to desire what is right, and to build a character which will assure the doing of the right. Now suppose that the soul of man is being molded in this life for a life beyond, and that in building character, that possession which gives man his manhood, he is building something which shall endure throughout eternity. Does not the truth about the soul and its eternal relationships become the most important branch of knowledge which man can acquire? And suppose that in the search for character we discover that, after all, religion is the great character builder, that men become like what or whom they worship. Does not their search for the true God in order to discover and achieve true manhood become the supreme goal in the search for truth? If Augustine was right when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it rest in thee, is it not true that the supreme need of man for the achievement of the highest manhood, is to find and know God? If we should turn the pages of all history and seek the highest examples of manhood the world has known, that example of manhood will be found to be the man, Christ Jesus. Living centuries before the great modern achievements of which we boast, he was, and still is, the truest man. And what is the secret of his manhood? The answer is his character. And what is the secret of his character? The answer is his relation to God. And what is his message to men who seek the fullest and truest life? This is his word. And this is life eternal, that they should know thee, the only true God, and him whom thou didst send, even Jesus Christ. Fundamental to all life's relationships is our relationship to God, and the most fundamental knowledge is the knowledge of God. Do we not see this to be true as soon as we begin to think about it? Assuming that God is the creator and preserver of the world in which we live, see what follows. 
If God planned the human body, can it be possible for us to achieve the fullest health and the utmost vigor if we ignore the maker of the body in our attempts to discover the science of health? If God planned the material world in which we live, how can we hope truly to subdue the earth if we ignore him who made nature? Can we expect to learn the laws of nature if we ignore and deny him who made these laws, which are his will, impressed upon the material world? Do we learn the intricacies of a marvelous machine by scornfully pushing the inventor out of the way? And is there not evidence enough in the history of the world to show that where men deny God, true science cannot prosper? Have not true science and knowledge of God gone together? Because that, knowing God, they glorified him not as God, neither gave thanks, but became vain in their reasonings, and their senseless heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Romans 1, verses 21 and 22. If God made the human heart, can men possibly lay the foundations of a true society if they deny him who wrote the laws of social relationships in man's nature? And if character depends upon a true sense of right, can character be achieved when men do not seek to know him whose voice speaks in the conscience? And to whose righteous laws the conscience points when it insists, Thou shalt, and thou shalt not? If in God we live and move and have our being, can we truly live except as we come to know him? If we are really to live in God's universe, we must seek to know God. No wonder the Bible begins with the striking words, In the beginning, God. Without God, there would be no world, no human body, no soul, no social nature, no conscience. God is the fundamental fact of the universe. He who seeks to know God will find all truth waiting in his path, but he who shuts his mind against God dulls his powers of perception, warps his judgment, and beclouds his intellect. To seek God is the beginning of wisdom. From Chapter 1 of Our Reasonable Faith by Park Hayes Miller, published in 1922. Thank you for joining us this week at the Saybrook Meeting House. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast. Saybrook Ministries' mission is to provide didactic and devotional content from the Christian faith delivered to the saints, recovered and refined by the Protestant Reformation. Be sure to visit saybrookministries.org for continually updated Christian content designed to inspire and invigorate our imagination and intellect. Join us next week for another journey to the Saybrook Meeting House. Until then, may God bless you.